Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hey, Meister fans, before we welcome our guest today, Russell and I just wanted to give you a quick reminder. We are on tons of platforms. You can use SoundCloud, you can use Stitcher Radio, any podcast platform. We're basically there. Just hit subscribe and you can listen on the go wherever you're going, five days a week. So let's welcome our guest. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to the show. This is Ben. Hey, guys, it's Russell. Today, we welcome Cam Doan. Cam is happy when he's moving. After growing up in the Northeast, Cam found a hub for skiing, climbing, and traveling in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's traveled to Kenya, where he successfully completed a first ascent, Iceland to teach wilderness medicine, and many other places around the world. For Cam, life is about grasping opportunities which are presented, and he'll be damned if anything slows him down. Cam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Cam. And you're pretty close to me. I grew up in New Hampshire. You grew up in Massachusetts. I took one route in my life. It seems like you took a slightly different. I I went to University of New Hampshire. I I got an engineering degree. I went off to the corporate world. But it seems like you, you grew up, you were immersed in the outdoors, skiing in Vermont, and you made a different decision to move to Salt Lake City and pursue a life in the outdoors. So looking at what kids have these days for options why did you end up making that choice as funny as it was it was more of just a love for the outdoors and for once again just always being moving and being in search of the adventures and back on the east coast i was watching the ski movies i was hearing about all these cool adventures and no one really wanted to do them with me back there um i now find that there is actually a lot to do on the east coast but um for me At that time in my life, I didn't know too much about it, and Utah happened to come up in my uh, discussion with parents and friends about school, so it was a good outlet and a way to kind of focus my energy while getting out of Massachusetts. Hey, you seem like a pretty adventurous guy, too. Did you have any sort of plan when moving there, or did you really just want to immerse yourself and then see what happened? I mean, I came out for school. I shadowed my brother at a community college in New York, and... He was doing a parks, recreation, and tourism degree, so I, I shadowed one of his courses uh, while he was in college, and I was like, all right, I could, I could go out west. Um, I checked into, I don't know, UVM. I checked into um, a few schools in Colorado, and funny as it was, uh, my mom was like, I think the University of Utah would be a good fit. They have a, a good climbing program there. And at the time, I didn't even climb, really, but I thought it would be a a good opportunity. And afterwards, I ended up coming out to school, and I knew the mountains were here, and I knew that it just seems like a great opportunity to get out and uh, kind of push my abilities. Yeah, and you absolutely did in Utah and now in many other countries. You've traveled to Iceland, we talked about, uh, Kenya. So. How have you made this work for yourself? What are you doing when you go to these different countries? Once again, as funny as it is, um, I ended up working for the climbing program at the University of Utah. And because of that connection, 
I was able to do an internship with a new small company and go to Kenya to teach wilderness medicine, so kind of wilderness first aid. And then from there, you know, be able to go teach those courses, go on game drives, and even go on Mount Kenya and some at the hiking peak there. And that wilderness medicine connection and being able to teach those courses has been kind of the, uh, the means to an end, at least for the traveling bug inside of me. And it's been working out so far. The wilderness medicine sounds really cool. Russell and I actually don't know too much about that, so we want to poke you with some questions there. First Absolutely. of all, where are you doing this wilderness medicine? Anywhere? I mean, wilderness is a pretty vague term, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. We're looking for um, the population that needs it most, and so you'll see a lot of outdoor-oriented um, people, whether they're skiing, climbing, hiking, um, at least an hour from definitive care, so, you know, from a hospital, um, taking these courses. It's pretty standard in the outdoor industry, um, at least out west and kind of around the country as well. But it's called a wilderness first responder. You'll have it referred to as a woofer. Um, and then a wilderness first aid, so woofa. Um, and so you have a two-day course and an eight to, eight to nine-day course. Um, and these courses are taught anywhere, really. And so we've taught the Kenya Wildlife Service, um, as well as a bunch of guides um, all over Iceland. And so it's people that are in the industry um, and could use help with this knowledge. It's the type of information you use to not so much uh, you know, do what doctors do, but be able to manage a situation, be able to handle an injury or an illness that occurs, and from there continue on to treat this person. And a big part of it, especially in the wilderness, is going to be extended care with an individual as well as evacuation um, and just group management in general. Yeah, absolutely. But wilderness medicine is probably something that you don't want to practice when you're on your adventures. Right? <laughs> exactly. Preventative measures. For yeah. Sure. So have you had to practice your wilderness medicine in uh, certain situations? I, surprisingly enough, I've gotten a more of my experience from just the teaching aspect mm -hmm. than I have the actual infield experience aside from small cuts and bumps and bruises along the way. I would say it definitely helps me kind of see the situation in a new light. So maybe that's just been me managing as well um, because you know exactly what you want to avoid from making dumb decisions, using knives to camp hygiene, and being able to keep everything clean and uh, hygienic. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, we want to get into a few of your other stories. But before we go there, you seem like the type of guy that likes to take opportunities and, and just kind of roll with it. But in people's lives, there are always so many opportunities that present themselves. Were there any that you really wanted to take advantage of that you weren't able to because you had committed yourself mm. to this wilderness medicine? Um, there have been a few. Uh, I really would have liked to done some wildland firefighting over the summer. It's kind of a big, or it's uh, a lot of people, at least in the group I know out here out west in Utah, um, are doing the wildland firefighting scene and uh, it just pays well for the summer. It's kind of like the ski bum's dream job where you work uh, the six months or five months and come away with anywhere from 15 to 30 grand. I mean, you're putting yourself on the line and you're working hard. You're working your butt off. And I'm sure if you work, you know, 80 hours a week, any other job, you'll make that much as well. But at the same time, it's just one of those opportunities that while traveling to Kenya for the past two years, I've been missing those applications and missing the time frame that the government wants you to commit for. So that has been absolutely one that I've been struggling with, but it seems like it might be an opportunity coming up. 
Absolutely. That sounds neat. But another adventure uh, that I mentioned in the bio is Iceland, which I think you recently just returned from, correct? I did, yeah. It's been uh, about two weeks, so it's, uh, it was, it's fresh in the mind. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you left for Iceland to do you know, a little bit of wilderness medicine training, like you said, but you also found yourself in a few other adventures, right? And that's kind of as, as a result of being so open to opportunities. Tell us about your Iceland trip. Well, it came about uh, one of our friends that I've traveled to Kenya with now the past three times. He and I made a friend our last time in Kenya. He lives in Iceland. He's originally Canadian, um, and he's a kayaker. And surprisingly enough, there are a lot of rafters and kayakers as well out in Kenya. Um, and so he was out there just kind of in uh, a flux season, catching some warm weather. Um, and so we met him, and we found out he owned the rafting company in Iceland. So we uh, we roomed with him. We called our... Uh, our little, sh- or our little hut that we lived in, it was North America because we had the Canadian and the two Americans. So we, uh, we ended up talking about it and it was just kind of dropped there like, oh yeah, we should come teach a few courses for your company and around Iceland. And one thing led to another and we decided to make it a go. Uh, that's kind of the, the beauty of working in a small group. We were able to just make those small kind of entrepreneurial decisions that took us there. And so we got our plane tickets and we had them organize a few companies that uh, would be interested in those courses. And then from there, made our way out and taught a wilderness first responder course, so the eight-day course. Um, and then afterwards taught a uh, wilderness first responder research course slash custom course for the other people um, that were up at his rafting base called Viking Rafting. Yeah, I want to learn a little bit more about Iceland because I've heard really good things. I hear it's an amazing place to visit. When I first thought of Iceland, I thought of really, really cold ice. But what is the climate actually like there? I've heard it's actually pretty nice. Why? Iceland and Greenland? This is what I heard. Cam, you should correct me if I'm wrong, if you know. But I heard when the Vikings were exploring, they found Greenland. Well, the area that wasn't named Greenland yet. They named it Greenland so people would be attracted to a land that they think is green. And they found this beautiful area called Iceland. They called it Iceland so people wouldn't go there because they think it's all ice. Am I right? Uh, That's what I've heard as well. Uh I can't clarify from the sources, but that does sound similar to what I've heard. Uh And so, yeah, I I was there and beautiful area. I can't say that enough. It was something of a different beauty compared to here um, where on the East Coast, you know, you have such lush trees um and just green all over um and there it's just it's barren but beautiful as well the snow for the most part covers a lot of the hills up north um and then we were doing a mass casualty scenario in the park and i was in my puffy jacket it was probably about i don't know maybe a high of 60 fahrenheit and some of the people in the park were shirts off short shorts hiked up and laying out in the sun to catch some rays. <laughs> Very nice. So would you compare it to um, maybe like a New England climate-wise, or is it further north, like more into Canada? I could say it's more into Canada. The okay. first day we were there, it was um, we had anything from rain to snow to sleet to sunshine to wind and all of those over and over again. Um, but by the time we were about halfway through our trip, I was there for a month. Uh, we ended up, um, having some beautiful weather actually. And even though it was a bit windy, I was up, uh, up North, um, near the troll peninsula by the second half of the trip. Um, it was still just, it, the sunshine was shining through and clear skies for a while. And so, 
um, I couldn't complain with the weather. Yeah, I want to dive into one opportunity that you decided to take advantage of while you were there. And I've never actually had an in-depth conversation with someone who's just decided they're going to go hitchhike across <laughs> the country or, or to a different area, and you didn't really know what was going on. Is that something you do on a regular basis to get around hitchhiking and maybe talk about your experience hitchhiking in Iceland a little bit? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, that was, uh, for the most part, my first experience hitchhiking. <laughs> and I had just been in Iceland, met some great people, been, I was high on life without a doubt. And I, uh, I was just kind of living off opportunities. And so, I, as you know, I was on this raft base uh, living and kind of working for my for my stay and for my food. Um, so, but also getting to go rafting when they needed it. And I did a guide course up there as well. Um, and I had the time off, and I thought, you know what, uh, this this heli skiing base is a two and a half two hour drive away from where I'm staying. Like, if if like Iceland is the way that it should be, and everyone is such a small knit community, and <laughs> everyone knows everyone. I'm going to show up to this heli skiing base and I'm going to be able to just like maybe even borrow a pair of skis and, and hike in the mountains. And I, I mean, I love skiing and it's definitely like in my blood and it just seems like the, the right thing to do. So I took off and I was like, all right, positive thinking can trump everything. <laughs> and well, I mean, I definitely did a lot of walking that day, but I had a lot of thinking time. So that was good. Um, did about five and a half hours of walking. Um, I got, three rides and finally made it to the rafting base. So I met some good people. I met one of the guys along the way who I was able to have some great in-depth conversations about, about, you know, the culture of Iceland and the government and the agricultural system. Um, but uh, my friend Chris, who owns the rafting base, he called up the owner of the heli ski base, owner and main guide, um, and he told him I was swinging on by. And, I mean, Iceland's it's a pretty small place, but... No matter what, if you swing on by, you would hope that you would be greeted with open arms. And uh, in the back of my head, you know, I was hoping that maybe they'd find out I was a good skier and they would bring me up in the helicopter even. I was, I was thinking pretty big, but you got you to shoot to the moon, right? Absolutely. And so did you end up skiing? No, I was, uh, <laughs> I was only on the base for about 15 minutes. They uh, were more perplexed than anything about who I was and what I was doing there. Um, and I wasn't even able to ask if I could borrow skis. So they were pretty much just like, who, who are you? Like, did you just think you could walk in and like that we needed a hand? And this was not very Icelandic culture at all for what I was expecting. Um, and yeah, they tried to call the boss, uh, Jokul Bergman and he didn't get back to him, didn't get back to him, finally got hold of him. And he thought I was just swinging on by, which whatever that meant, uh, to me, it, I was hoping at least stay for a night or two maybe. And the guy was just like, yeah you're probably going to come on a bus with me back to the local town. And I was like, oh, that, that sucks. Like, uh, it was either that or I was going to hitchhike back. And I, all I was picturing was walking for another five and a half hours. And uh, for me, that wasn't really an option. My feet were killing me. I didn't realize how bad it was to walk on pavement. And I had my sleeping bag with me. So, I mean, first of all, I was willing to sleep like anywhere on the, uh, the heli base. But they, uh, they weren't really having it. And they said they had clients coming in. And so... I ended up uh, kind of making a last-minute resort to a friend who was in one of the courses we taught the week before, just a, um, a guy somewhere in my age who I met um, who was pretty outgoing, and he, he lived in the town where the heli-based company was. So 
the, when, uh, when the gentleman was driving me back to the closest town, not where I was planning on staying or where the hostel was, he was like, yeah, I can drop you off at the hostel. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I like, didn't know how to say this, but I was like, I only have $6 in my bank account. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't get to deposit some checks and yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, so you can't drop me off there. And his response was just like, uh, yep, oh, okay, yeah. I'm <laughs> just like, no one knows what to say to that. And I don't know if he wanted to like take me in or something like that, but he didn't really seem like it. So um, he helped me at least make a phone call or find the gentleman's number who I was going to try and stay with. So I ended up getting hold of him, asking him if I could stay at his place. And not only did he take me in, I was able to uh, – climb at the local climbing gym that his brother-in-law made. And then he was buying a car for my friend Chris, who owns the rafting base. So I was able to drive the car two hours back rather than having to hitchhike. So it just ended up making for like a sweet ending to the the bitter start of a trip. All right. Well, (laughs) well, two things, Cam. First of all, I want you to first realize I'm astounded at how much of a polar opposite you are compared to most people that Russell and I know, because most of (laughs) Russell's friends right now have the corporate jobs. They've bought a house uh, (laughs) and you are traveling all around the world. My friends are mostly paying thousands of dollars per month for rent in cities and you have $6 in your bank account. It is just an incredible contrast. Yeah, it's a... It definitely has been a wild thought to toy with constantly, but to see a range of people and to kind of judge the happiness level, if I'm, if I'm this happy with not that much money, it seems like it must be working somehow. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's incredible to hear how, how positive, you have such a positive personality and it almost seems like no matter what happens to you, you reflect back on it positively and, you know, when you finish an adventure you're always happy with the results. Is that true or have you ever been disappointed? Uh, I wouldn't say disappointed. I definitely, those, those trips abroad have been kind of like my time away from home. And it sounds bad to say, but it's easy to get jaded from beautiful places. And whether that's the East Coast where I grew up that now I go back to and I see the, the ocean and I see the coast and I know how beautiful it is, or even Salt Lake where I've been coming to school, I graduated, I'm just living here now and I mean, the mountains are here. There's mountain biking, skiing, world-class rock climbing, uh, great friends, and just a great community. And things just, uh, they didn't seem as as light as they were. So every time I go abroad is always a nice time to reflect and to kind of take away the important or the unimportant things in my life. When people worry about too many things on social media or they worry about the news. And when you travel, it's just getting out and living for the moment, I guess, is like as cliche as it sounds, Mm -hmm. but being able to do without all the necessities and just be, be and absorb what's around you. Yeah. And even to take a step back from the story and look at from a bird's eye view, you were somewhere, you had a goal, you wanted to go skiing, you wanted to get there and you just did everything you could to make that goal. And at the end of the day, you didn't even have success with that goal, but you had so many (laughs) cool things that happened along the way. You got to sit in the car with someone who lived in Iceland that was totally random, and so you got to really immerse yourself in the culture. You got to have all these cool things happen to you, even though you didn't succeed in your goal. And so is this something that you're thinking about or you just naturally have built into your system? 
It's been a process, we'll say, to be able to go out there and just kind of go with the flow. I, I have those days or those moments where I am scared about silly things, whether it's showing up to work on time or whether it's having to go make a phone call to, in a situation I don't want to have to deal with. And if that's bothering me, it's frustrating. But if I can go out in the world and go just be happy while traveling with a backpack and you know, like a sandwich and something else and a cup of tea... Uh, it kind of balances it out. So I've learned from the small things to to think big. And that way I've been able to manage the smaller uh, things that hold me back in life. As I said, the, the phone calls during the day that I don't want to have to take just makes me sit there and go, okay, you can do this, Cam. But when it comes to the bigger things, I can just say, all right, yeah, like as long as I can have enough money to make it to Iceland, I'm pretty sure I can survive until, you know, after the season. So... <laughs> I like when you do go on these adventures, so you look for opportunities to work and support yourself while you're there, right? Because if we look at it from an economic standpoint, when you don't do that, you're really not creating value for anybody else but yourself. When it doesn't work out, do you have kind of a feeling of guilt, like you're wasting time and resources? A little bit. That's been a thought when I think back on... Um, kind of the sustainability aspect of it. But it's also a balance for how much I've been able to grow and learn from traveling abroad and in kind of abnormal situations. And for me, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be a rich man in wealth. But And it's the same with growing up as well. It's always been, hey, if I can work, I can work and do this. It's kind of like a, a cheater's way to getting around the world or a cheater's way to doing this or that. And so that's been the same thing with my work um, teaching rock and ice climbing. I mean, I probably couldn't afford the gear normally, but I worked in the industry where you get those discounts. And same idea. I mean, I, I had someone else paying my flights to go abroad to go and then get paid to teach these courses and bring you on game drives in Kenya and tours around Iceland and rafting. And uh, it's uh, it's been quite the opportunity and just the way I have made it work. And as I said, it wouldn't happen normally, I don't believe. Yeah, you, you said a cheater's way. I don't know if I would say <laughs> a cheater. No, and this is to your credit. I think that if the market's willing to pay you to do something or if opportunity presents itself and you're there to take advantage of it, I wouldn't call that cheating. I would say no. that's more opportunistic. So well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, do you have any advice for our listeners as to where to get started? They're not really immersed in the same environment that you are in the outdoors. What are some steps they could take to give them more opportunities to have similar type traveling adventures? Mm, That's a good one. Um, First off, I would say being curious no matter what. If you are wondering about the culture someplace, the, um, the experience, someone else's experience, reading about it online and asking someone personally, if you come across someone that say they just got back from Argentina, don't just say, oh, that's cool, like, nice. Say, like, start asking questions. Think about what, what triggers you, if it's skiing, if it's the culture, if it's the food. Um, and it's so good to know about that stuff and just see what it is that makes you tick and makes you want to go there because something must, it must excite you. And so whatever excites you, go along with it. So to switch gears a little bit, uh, we do like to ask our our guests for a gear recommendation, Cam, and you have done the skiing and the climbing and the kayaking, and maybe you haven't bought the equipment, but I'm sure you've used a lot of it. So we need a gear recommendation for you. What would you recommend to our listeners? Uh, Well, I've been skiing 
and testing out skis for a company. It's called Kitten Factory, mm. um, like like cats, but kitten. And so they're called Kitten Factory, and they have a warehouse in Salt Lake City. Um, there are a few graduates from the University of Utah, and they're actually my neighbors now as well. So uh, kind of like the, the nutty professors, if you will. And they have some carbon fiber skis they've been making um, that have anywhere from like a pretty traditional side cut and just uh, style to a more progressive and uh, playful style. But being on those skis has been, it's been great. It's been a good time testing out their skis and seeing what kind of new technologies are coming about. So we're looking at a lighter ski, a more uh, playful ski, and I'm on the Carbon POW is what it's called. And it's been great for the season and great to kind of explore on as well, super light for touring as well as inbound skiing. And they haven't, uh, I haven't destroyed them yet, and the owner hasn't destroyed them yet. And if you've ever seen him ski, it's, it's amazing that his skis haven't been broken. So it's good. Russell loves <laughs> carbon fiber. It's like his favorite thing ever. So well, sure I, yeah, I started a master's you. degree, uh, University of Southern Mississippi in polymer science, just to learn more about composites. But when I started All looking right. into the ski industry and where I could maybe have an effect carbon fiber wise or with new types of ski designs, I looked at one brand and they had been making carbon fiber skis for a while. And a big issue that they had was they were actually snapping in half because they were so brittle. They were Mm -hmm. much stiffer overall, especially for being so light. So I'd be interested to try out these two because they actually switched. They stopped making carbon fiber skis and I've been waiting for that next company to really make one that works. So I'll have to keep my eye out. We've had some fun testing these as well. We've had the breaks, we've had the snaps and just uh, pinpointing where those weak spots Mm -hmm. are. I mean, there's still a wood core in them, but it has been... It's been interesting to see the process because I'm no engineer by any means, but I love skiing. I love skiing hard and it's been nice. I haven't broken any yet. Um, and so that's been kind of the relief, but the owner or one of the owners has, uh, from anything from park skiing to big mountain skiing, when they were testing out some of their prototypes, he kind of saw, saw it all. That's great. Well, we'll throw that resource on our website, mtnmeister.com in your, uh, gear recommendation section. And this has been a great discussion so far. To wrap this whole interview up, we want to talk about one thing that uh, you were telling us Gandhi said it. And it was, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world. What does that quote really mean for you? It means be the happy person you want to see everyone else be. Enjoy life for what it is. And if you find frustration in that commute with people honking their horns and getting mad. If you find people using your stuff when you don't want them to, if you can uh, change that to a positive light and everyone can just be happy with where they're at for the reason that they're understanding of what it is that makes them tick and what it is that makes them happy, you can have that nine to five. And I'm just starting up a nine to five myself and I can still look at the bright side that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and there's always some positive side to even the job you're at. But a lot of times it's those unique qualities that we find in ourselves that make us tick, that are going to make us happy and continue to make us appreciate those that are around us um, and keep us unique for who we are. Cam, thank you so much for joining us. We've had a great discussion on the show today. For our listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Cam, you can visit his Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Also, Cam's blog website is camdone.com. Thanks, Cam, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys so much. That was great fun.
Hey, Meister fans. Thanks for tuning in to Cam's episode. And I really personally want to go to Iceland. So if anyone is gone and you're on Instagram, show me your pictures, tag Mountain Meister, and we'll check them out. And Ben, who do we have tomorrow on the show? Yes, tomorrow on the show, we probably have our most enthusiastic Mountain Meister yet. Probably, more like definitely. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> enthusiastic is an understatement. Tomorrow, we have Rachel Burks on the show. Rachel's a professional big mountain free skier, and she runs Female Wolfpack. If you want to be a member of the Female Wolfpack, listen to tomorrow's episode to find out how you can contribute. Hope you enjoyed Cam Doan. Stay tuned for Rachel Burks tomorrow on Mountain Meister.